You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll hear reflections on an event over the weekend when community groups gathered in response to recent attacks on Asian American seniors. Some of those in our communities who are survivors and are victims have shared that law enforcement is the only solution at this moment. And so it's hard for them to see another solution. We also know when we think about the long-term solution and over-reliance of what exists now is not going to be effective. We know that the ultimate solution to violence has to be empowering our own communities with the support that they define, they need, and the education to, to make all of our communities safe. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org. The whole country has seen an uptick in violent attacks and hateful rhetoric against Asian Americans during the coronavirus pandemic. And recently, a series of violent crimes against Asian seniors in the Bay Area have sparked concern and calls to action as well as inspired community gatherings. In San Francisco and Oakland, organizers arranged for socially distanced events to emphasize the need for additional resources and services to advance public safety. Here's Justin Hoon Wen from the Southeast Asian Development Center speaking in San Francisco's Civic Center Plaza. Happy New Year, everyone. It's, I know it's hard to celebrate in a time where there's violence targeting our Asian American community across the Bay Area. It was just four months ago, we were here in San Francisco, speaking out against the assault of the Vietnamese elder here in SF Tenderloin. And it saddens me to hear more incidents with our Thai elder Vika up in San Francisco and assault down in San Jose or another Vietnamese elder. It breaks my heart. We must make space as a community to grieve and acknowledge that pain and the trauma. We also must not divide our communities. This is a time for us to come together. This violence affects all of us, all of our communities, all of our neighborhoods, across cities, and across all of our backgrounds. We must come together and call on our, commu- and call on our city leaders to invest in our community. First is supportive services for the victims and the families, as well as the perpetrator. We want justice. We want restorative, radical healing. We want to support the full person, and everyone gets what they need to heal. Second, we want to invest in communities of color, especially those impacted from poverty and inequality. To end the cycle of violence, we must expand equitable access to housing, to education, and the opportunity to live a life of dignity. And third is we must, we must promote and heal communities most hurt by systemic racism, by promoting cross-cultural, cross-community education and healing. We must come together to build an equitable society for youth and for all the generations that come after. The solution to this violence is by investing and empowering communities. This and this alone is what makes our community safer. Thank you. To hear more about the ways community-based groups are responding to recent attacks, I talked with two co-MCs from the event in San Francisco. My name is Lewa Wu. I am the Policy and Alliance Director at Chinese Progressive Association. Hi, my name is Sarah Wen. I'm the Executive Director of Community Youth Center of San Francisco. 
Great. Thank you so much. Let's start by giving some context to some of the actions that you helped organize over the weekend. According to Stop AAPI Hate, between March 19th, 2020, when they began collecting reports, and December 31st, 2020, they received more than 2,800 firsthand accounts of anti-Asian hate from 47 states and D.C. And between March 19th, 2020 and December 31st, 2020, they received 126 accounts of anti-Asian hate involving Asian Americans over 60 years old. 7.3% of the total incidents. And there have been a few particularly high-profile incidents in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. both of them attacks on seniors, both recently. In one case, a man was violently pushed to the ground in public, and in another, a man was fatally assaulted. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping you could tell us about the response that you're organizing and why you're taking the approach that you're taking. Sarah, maybe I can go first and then you can. You please, can. please do. Part of this, the reason why our Coalition for Community Safety and Justice in San Francisco gathered this past Sunday and organized a press event, you know, the, the week prior is because of the the need for us to name, you know, for our own communities and for, for those in the broader community that nobody Nobody deserves the violence that we have seen against the Asian community, against our elderly, against our the women, and especially those who are not able to defend themselves, right? When we think about, you know, the 84-year-old the Thai elderly man, um, I think about my grandparents. I think about our grandparents, our uh, folks who've, who've taken care of so many of our family members, you know, and especially in this moment of COVID when so many people are afraid enough as it is to go out and to connect with people um, to for for our elderly people now they're, they're feeling you know an extra sense of reluctance to, to have to avoid places um, because they're afraid that somebody will target them so that that sense of helplessness for um, elders or people who are particularly vulnerable um, we need to we need to you know, protect and we need to um, make sure that there is no excusing of their actions. So part of, you know, what we, what we wanted to have, um, what we wanted to name uh, in, in terms of our public, public kind of uh, standing on, on Sunday was to, to be very clear, right. That uh, this is not tolerated, but I, I also think that, you know, there's, as Asian American communities, we also had to name that there is honest conversations that we need to really have and reconcile with as to why elders and often Asian American folks are being targeted now, right? And also not just now, but historically, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do we be honest in this moment to name the systemic racism that pits our communities against each other, you know, and particularly when I think about, you know, the model minority stereotype that, you know, Asian Americans are introverted or docile. And how do we actually begin to understand how this stereotype manifests, right, of particularly East Asian, you know, minorities being successful or maybe seen as successful? And maybe is that maybe a particular reason, right, that there there is some kind of some kind of um you know, perception, right, um, that also makes working class East Asian communities invisible, makes Southeast Asian communities needs, PI communities ex- invisible. It makes our black communities, right, also needs invisible um, and, and, and leads to all of us under res- resourcing or being re- resourced um, if when we keep pitting each other, right? So I think that so the second part, you know, the other reason why we really wanted to come together with 
not only our Asian American communities, but also with our with our Black and Indigenous and Latinx allies is because we recognized we needed a space to be honest with each other, to talk about our experiences, and also know that this pitting against each other is not helping. Because what it actually does is it ignores what is actually at fault, right? Yes, there is real accountability that we need to name in terms of these interpersonal violences. And when we take a step back, we actually know in the midst of this COVID that everybody right now is in a state of desperation. Everybody is experiencing a moment where we have high in massive unemployment, where we have high concentration of wealth, and, and 99% of our, our population, particularly people of color, are um, struggling with staying in their homes, struggling with finding food, struggling with taking care of, edu- you know, making sure their young kids are educated and, 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 um, and safe. So needing to take a step back for a second to, to be able to name for ourselves account, what is accountability, but how do we get to that place where we're eventually like all safe, you know, for, for all community members? Mm-hmm. Sarah, did you want to add to that? Uh, I think like what covered it really well. Um, I think also we'd like to give a little bit of background that uh, with um, Chinese Progressive Association, Chinese Affirmative Action, uh, CYC, and also the New Birth Foundation, we actually set up uh, and founded the Coalition on Community Justice and Safety last year and start working on how to build like really a citywide social support and safety infrastructure um, that including service coordinations to assist all the Asian American families and also a lot of survivors of crime. So we have actually started this work since last year. Um, so the anti-Asian or like a lot of senior assault case has been happening for years. And we yeah. have started this coalition last year that come together to really look into what we can do for short-term or also long-term solutions. Um, not only about prevention and intervention program, how we can work with all the different key stakeholders and partners to develop really a very robust, um, culturally competent, also multilingual services to cover all this, uh, to support all this like victim or survivors of crime so that they can recover and heal. And I think we also through the day of our actions, we were able to uh, uh, state clearly our uh, request or our demands that to ask for the attention to put in more resources for this type of community programs or like service coordination piece from city and from all the different department um, level. So let's be clear about what you're asking for and, and what not. I mean, there is evidence that an uptick in Asian and anti-Asian attacks during the pandemic ha- has been happening, which you know comes as no surprise given the anti-Asian rhetoric from the mm-hmm. Trump administration. But in terms of violent crime, um, are these incidents in fact part of a trend in crime, as some narratives suggest? First of all, it's important to not com- conflate all incidences as um, violent crime, that there are there is a spectrum, right, from from incidences of discrimination to incidences of violence to crime to even, you know, to hate crime. And I also know that there is a very fine line, right, around how and how, you know, certain actions are are, um, are distinguished as, as right. categories and why. But we know that a majority of the reported incidences are not considered, let's just say, they do not, we cannot clearly articulate and 100% know for sure that any a- attack is like racially motivated at this point. And we also know 
that regardless of whether we know for sure certain the motives, that there is a big impact that our communities and the communities, you know, across the region and even uh, uh, nationwide are, are experiencing. And we have to figure out how to address this, right? And then uh, speaking to what Sarah mentioned, it, this isn't something that just happened in the last month. This is, mm-hmm. you know, these and what you had mentioned too, these attacks the, the racism, these are all stark reminders that this is, this is historic. This has happened over generations, decades are, you know, grounded in our, our own country's history, right? Of, of racism, not just our own communities, but of communities, you know, all uh, communities of color. So that to, I think first off needing to understand that um, we must we have to address anti-Asian incidences and racism. And also it has to be complemented with addressing decades of underinvestment in our communities um, that has attacked our, our Asian American communities, communities of color and low income folks. So in order for us to, to really think about how do we kind of build the kind of safety that we need for the long term. So because of the narrative about violent crime, there's some sentiment that the response from municipalities should be increased policing. Oakland's mayor, Libby Schaff, even went so far as to suggest that recent budget proposals that would decrease police funding were responsible for this kind of attack. What were you hearing this weekend and over the past week from community members who joined you in this initiative about how they would like to see public safety addressed? Um, I'll try to answer, but you might probably Mm -hmm. have a better answer to that mm-hmm. um I, I think we're not like against policing but we don't think that will be the ultimate solutions for public mm-hmm. safety um i don't think there has been any study addressed that increasing policing will actually increase um the safety of the community it really takes the community together um yeah. to to really uh, address the deeper root causes of violence um for solutions rather than just increasing uh policing um, I, I think we need to really look into how how systematic, like a systemic poverty, and that really have it, and also the generational traumas that really affect, especially community of colors, affect everyone that where we are today. Um, I think that's also one thing that CCSJ our coalitions have been looking into is really how to address all forms of violence, but from really the root causes. Yeah. Yeah, I I think Sarah mentioned, you know, I really echo Sarah's sentiments. I think, you know, there are some the some of those in our communities who who are survivors and are victims who um, have shared that law enforcement is the only solution at this moment. And so it's hard for them to see another solution, right? Like it's hard for us to say to survivors, you can't, you can't um don't rely on, you know, this institution if, if this is the only thing that exists right now, right? And we also know that a large percentage of our communities have also felt distrustful of law enforcement and have also mm-hmm. felt that because of the lack of language capacity or, or because of lack of cultural relevancy in, in their cultural understanding of where our immigrant communities come from. They have not, they don't reach out, you know, to police. They don't reach out to, to government services um, for support. And that we also know back to this, when we think about the long-term solution and over-reliance of what exists now is not going to be 
effective. We know that the ultimate solution to violence has to be empowering our own communities with the resources, with the support that they define, they need, and the education to to make all of our communities safe. So at the end of the day, it is about, you know, us tending to the needs of our victims and survivors right now. We need the wraparound services and make sure that they're multilingual and culturally responsive. We have to address the wound in order for people to repair and regenerate, right? We have to create infrastructure within the city to not only improve service coordination, but help support, better support families of crime to long-term recovery. And then we also have to do the deeper and the much more difficult work of building community relationships and trust between our within our own communities and between our communities. That requires a lot of the a lot of the work that community based organizations like CPA, like um, CYC, CAA are already doing to address black and and, and, uh, Asian tensions. That is going to eventually will eventually help us identify community-based solutions in the long run. I'm speaking with Laiwa Wu, Policy and Alliance Director at the Chinese Progressive Association, and Sarah Wen, Executive Director of the Community Youth Center of San Francisco. So you've brought this up a couple of times now. I mean, this series of events is intended to bring together a multiracial and multigenerational coalition against racism, against xenophobia, and of course, against violence. How are you building solidarity across these different groups at a time of, you know, arguably increase in hateful and divisive rhetoric? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds so easy, but I th- it or sounds simple, um, but I do think... It, one of the biggest things that we, we have to do and that we are doing is taking a moment to get to know who our neighbors are. Like, you know, in, in San Francisco, when we have such a, um, you know, our neighborhoods are, you know, so closely adjacent to each other. And yet, I don't know if how many of our, of our community members really at the end of the day understand, you know, um, where and why different communities, you know, how they think, how we live day to day, you know, do people understand about our Asian American elderly folks, our own communities, our own immigrant population, what what it feels like, or what it's like, like growing up in a, in a single room occupancy, right? Um, and, you know, going to work in a restaurant or in a, in a, ho- a hotel or hospice or service work. It has to be start with understanding and and speaking to in a really honest way why we have certain assumptions and why we make certain why why is it that we we don't see each other why is it that the stereotypes that we do have exist so that we could t- get to a point where we can really yeah understand our, our collective our collective struggle. Sarah, I don't know if you I have think, anything else to add. Yeah, I, I think from, for me, especially working with you, I think it's also very important that how we can make sure there's cross-community education dialogue among the young people as well. Um, a lot of young people, especially they grow up in America and their parents are immigrants, there's always seems to have some conflict or different understanding of why we are where we are now, why the why there's so much violence. And I think it's very important how we actually put resources and educate have our young people have a good understanding what what has been the history, what has been the trauma, uh, what has led us to here, and what we can do 
to change and to really build a thriving community together. Um, that's why we really want to advocate like ethnic studies, um, definitely racial justice curriculum, even from like elementary school on at the different level, age appropriate curriculum, so that they could all starting to understand from young. And I think education will really change how the outlook will be like in the future. And at the same time, they also could be the ambassador to bring all this question and try to bring their understanding to the elders, to their parents at the same time. It is not easy. It's going to be very hard. There's no short-term solution. It will be a very long-term effort to make that happen. But we have to start from us. Otherwise, we will never see the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that you could give me a little bit of an illustration of how this went. I mean, there's a lot of... Um, there were invitations out there to come to Chinatown, come say hello, just kind of show up. And there's also there were also online digital events. We are still in a pandemic. <laughs> so I'm wondering how you're managing to do this and build community and, and show up for one another at a time when it's, you know, kind of people might have concerns about doing that because of the pandemic. And also, if you could just like paint a picture, what did it look like this weekend? You know, I mean, our our communities have been, um, we've been, we know we have the resilience to, to kind of build um, relationships with each other, despite the fact that we are in, in, um, we, we are doing most of our work remotely or, or online. We've been practicing it for the past year now. Um, it doesn't mean that it's, it's been, uh, easy, you know, our, especially for our monolingual and for our, um, kind of working class folks who are, who have, who are not as tech literate, I think, you know, there are definitely limitations, right, to um, kind of uh, building across communities the way that we want to. There's, there's a level of intimacy and in person kind of conversation and relational building that I think has been has been challenging. And yet, we have been able to do it this past year um, through our, you know, education work with our young people through our education work with our adult immigrant base. I think what Sunday, you know, Sunday was a, what did it look like on Sunday? I think we, it was a really important showing of, of our, um, youth and of our elders within San Francisco and across the Bay of people coming together to, to really stand up in, in the face of, of kind of what, what folks have seen. Um, I, I think, I think that, like I mentioned, just like our coalition, we have started the work um, as a coalition since last year, but each of our organizations has been starting this work to really tackle the systemic issues for years. So for example, CYC has been around 50 years and we were founded in 1970s also because of a lot of camp violence in Chinatown. So it has always been a mission and the values that we all carry. I think this incident uh, as a coalition for us, because we're already working together, we were able to mobilize this San Francisco event and with the collab uh, collaboration that uh, a lot of our partner agency has already with the Oakland side, they were immediately were able to bridge and connect. And I, I will have to say how amazing it is, all these very passionate and very dedicated uh, young folks that they were able to gather this event. Social media has been a very major engine to mobilize mm. and give the message uh, out to um, the residents, and mm -hmm. it, it is also seeing that uh, over three, four hundred people show up in Oakland and a couple hundred in San Francisco, even during this time, during the New Year, is, is, is really showing how frustrated and yet how the community want to come together to make changes. 
Um, it definitely for me is a hope for the future. And I think for us, we also have to do our best to emphasize the need to be social distance, do double mask and do all that you can to be uh, cautious. And also that's why we also have the uh, uh, live um, uh, page on uh, social media so that people cannot be there physically in person. Mm -hmm. uh, they could still feel uh, the event. I think just for the San Francisco one, for the, uh, for the Facebook Live has over a thousand audience. Mm -hmm. Wow. Another purpose of these events, as as written, is to offer space for healing the grief and pain in Asian communities in light of recent events. What did you hear this weekend from community members about the emotional fallout of seeing these incidents? And what do you, how do you start to help the healing process? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think like we mentioned before, there's... Um, there is definitely a, a lot of kind of anger and frustration and numbness, um, the almost to the point of where people have felt like it, it, it because it, it's felt so normalized, right? To have, um, particularly for a lot of the Asian American communities where um, violences does happen. I, I don't think people really understand how prevalent it is from, you know, um, from, um, you know, small kind of interpersonal moments to to the higher profile cases that we've seen. Um, and I think it was really important, you know, another re why, again, why it was important that we we had to show up, we had to be in solidarity and community with each other on Sunday, because I particularly for for our folks, we needed a space to be able to talk about our experience without feeling like we had to compare it right to something else. Mm. Um, yeah. And we also had to understand that in our struggle and in honoring where we, you know, how we were experiencing this moment. So we also had to recognize how our, our experiences are influenced and are connected, right, to the larger, larger struggles of, of communities around us too, right? So I think on Sunday, you know, you know, that part of the work that we're doing is not just, it is about acknowledging the harm and, and validating our pain, but it's also about how do we use that anger and how do we use our frustration to get us to more sharply understand the why, more sharply understand actually who is actually winning in this in this bigger campaign or in this bigger fight is it is it and who is actually the one at fault you know is it um the folks who are like you and me the folks who are like the working class who are you know um who are struggling their everyday lives or is it actually the people who are maybe not in these stories who are not with us in this moment who um yeah who who you know the folks who are wealthy the folks who are you know um keeping keeping kind of the 99% down. So making sure that we also have an opportunity uh, to, to sharpen our understanding of what we need to do and how do we need to help each other collectively. Sarah, I know you have to go pretty urgently, but any final thoughts from you either about um, that question of healing and the process or just anything you wanted to add that you didn't get a chance to say? Well, I think the only thing I say is that in order to really heal together, we really need to bridge the different community together, especially in including like Asian and the black community in the healing process. Um, it, it will include a lot of like understanding, learning, and also willing to be open up um, to, to learn, to also understand and also to move forward. So I really hope that this day of action, why we'll so emphasize on multi-cultural uh, or multi-ethnic uh, 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 backgrounds, because we really see that we can only 
do it if we stand in solidarity with uh, other people of color communities. Um, we cannot do this alone. So I think that's the key message I would like to send it out. Well, Sarah and, and Lewa, thank you so much for your time and, and for speaking with me about this. Thank you for inviting us. That was Lewa Wu, Policy and Alliance Director at the Chinese Progressive Association, and Sarah Wen, Executive Director of the Community Youth Center of San Francisco. I'd like to close today's show with a few clips from the event this weekend, which was on Sunday, February 14th. This is from a live stream by the Chinese Progressive Association. Here's Tanish Hollins, who represented a variety of groups, including Californians for Safety and Justice. I stand here today wearing many hats. First, as a Black woman and a San Francisco native, and as a survivor of crime who lost two brothers to gun violence in this city. I'm also here as the Associate Director of Californians for Safety and Justice, an organization that's pushing public policy to create safer communities and remove barriers for crime victims in the state. I'm a co-founder of SF Black Wall Street, and I'm here with my members of the SF Mega Black Coalition. We are working to support and unify our Black community citywide. And I say with one voice that we denounce the disgusting acts of racism and violence that have taken place in our communities and against the Asian community here in San Francisco. When one of us is attacked in this city, we are all less safe. And when race is a motivator in the attack, we all feel it. As a survivor, I understand the pain, the trauma, and the feeling of betrayal that manifests when you are attacked in your own home. We have a right to demand justice and accountability. But in order to achieve safety, we have to do a few things. First, we have to acknowledge the common enemy, racism. The ideas and biases that we've all been socially conditioned to believe and carry in us about each other. The belief that the color of someone's skin makes them less important, makes them inferior, makes them more prone to violence or more prone to be accepting of violence. We have to eradicate that. Racism is the bedrock of American culture. We have to address that. It's influenced our laws, our systems, and all of us have been oppressed and abused because of this. We have to address racism and we have to go beyond moments of solidarity and do the deep work of acknowledging and healing and it starts at home. We have work to do. Second, the increase of crime and violence should not be placed on the shoulders of one community. We are all responsible for safety. We are all in a moment of crisis. And this crisis is a direct result of this global pandemic that we are all experiencing. It has destabilized our communities. It has made it harder for people to stay at home in isolation, jobs and business closing, families destabilized. It should not be a surprise that violent crime is affecting our communities right now. When we have not done the work of addressing mental illness, unaddressed trauma, addiction, and homelessness, we've been struggling with this for decades because we put our investments in the wrong places. We cannot incarcerate our way into safety. And we cannot have safety at the expense of one community over the others. We all deserve to be safe. And we have to work together to achieve this. The last thing I'll say is we cannot create solutions driven by our wounds. You will not create safety if your hurt and your anger is what's driving your solution. Real safety occurs from addressing the root of the problem and preventing it from happening in the first place. Real safety is achieved when we remove barriers for victims to get help as soon as they need it. And when we do the work at home to make sure that no one sees someone else as a target. 
gonna close out by saying that I'm a city kid. I marched in the Lunar New Year parade many times in my life. I can listen to the dialects in the Asian community and know where they come from. I'm proud of that. I want us to keep working and not buy into the lie that we are not united. We have a history of solidarity in San Francisco. We have a history of solidarity here in the Bay Area. And we're going to continue working toward equity in our communities. Thank you. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic. Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.